You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Almost every actor would seize upon the opportunity to be in a big TV show. But even with a BFA in acting and conservatory theater training, none of it had really prepared Joyce Shea for one of the biggest roles of her life, becoming a three-day champion on the game show Jeopardy. Even in that moment when I was auditioning, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is fun, but not necessarily taking that next step where I was like, oh, I'm going to actually be on this show. It was just sort of like a fun idea. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, a top 25 theater podcast featuring conversations on the realities of a career in the performing arts. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com where you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter. It'll let you know of upcoming guests, fill you in on how to get special bonus episodes, and give you a peek behind the curtain of this podcast. So sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. When it comes to game shows, few have lasted as long or had as much impact on culture and society as the long-running Jeopardy. It actually began in 1964 with a TV and film actor called Art Fleming. He hosted the show till 1975, as well as an all-new Jeopardy! reboot that ran from 78 to 79. The version we all know and love to this day began in 1984 with Alex Trebek. But it certainly isn't the kind of television show that acting classes or one-on-one casting director sessions prepare us for. In part one of my conversation with Joyce Shea, we talk about her theater training and her struggle to find fulfillment as an actor. She shares how surprising it was to find herself on Jeopardy and how similar it is and isn't to her work as an actor. In part two, we'll talk about the course she created all about memorization and how actors can better learn lines and retain scripts. Joyce certainly has a unique story, and I'm so happy to share our conversation with you. Joyce, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's good to meet you and to see you here. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to do this. Thanks so much, Patrick. Well, it's interesting as as actors, we certainly look for those big roles in our life and we all have our bucket list. Was being on Jeopardy ever one of those things that you thought this is what I want to do? You know, it's interesting because there are several people out there where it's like a lifelong ambition that they, you know, they loved the show forever and they always wanted to be on it. It really wasn't like that for me. It really kind of came out of the blue. I had gotten into trivia with some friends. We were doing bar trivia every week. It was just like a fun hobby. And I started to watch the show more regularly as a way to like hopefully up my trivia game at bar trivia. And so then ironically, I ended up auditioning for the show. So, you know, every once in a while, they put out a call where they're like, oh, we're looking for some more contestants. You know, you can take the online test and see if you can get on. And so I sort of just took it on a whim. I didn't really think I was going to get on or anything. I didn't have this like strong ambition, but then I got an email sometime later asking me to audition. Was the test a lot of the same questions that you see on the show? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Just like a wide variety of questions. It's just, yeah, like that. So when I got the email uh, saying, you know, you passed the test, would you like to audition for the show? I was I, I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess this is possible, you know? And so I, I went out and did uh, the audition. You do another test for them in person. Um, you do a little interview type thing with them and uh, you do like a mock game where you play with the buzzers and stuff. And, and then e- even in that moment when I was auditioning, I, I, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is fun, you know? <laughs> like, right, it's, it's, it's a story to tell, right? <laughs> yeah, but not necessarily taking that next step where I was like, oh, I'm going to actually be on this show. Uh, it was just sort of like a fun idea, but eventually, you know, I got the call to be on it and it was a, a really interesting surprise for sure. And when it was all said and done, Joyce was a three-day champion on Jeopardy, earning $39,403. It was enough to pay off my student loans, which of course is a big plus. But if anyone knows about the show, that's that's kind of like on the small end of winnings when it comes to Jeopardy, but a, a surreal experience for sure. So a lot of people, they like to ask, what's Alex Trebek like? And when you're a contestant on the show, you're definitely not hanging out or schmoozing with Alex or anything like that. The interaction you see on the show, it's basically kind of it. But I can say from our brief interaction that he was very kind, very gracious, very congenial. I think it's sad that he passed away, but... I think he'll always be remembered. He's really become iconic because of Jeopardy. And I think his name is, it'll continue to be synonymous with that show even as they get other people to host it. And I think it's really remarkable that he never retired from the show. He was on it to the very end. And I think that really says something about how much he loved it and how dedicated he was to it. So... I'm I'm glad that I was able to be on the show while he was still the host. So I 
I cherish that. So while Jeopardy was a wonderful experience, it was still a diversion from what Joyce really wanted to do. As I mentioned earlier, Joyce received professional conservatory actor training at DePaul University and graduated from their BFA theater program with thoughts of going to Los Angeles, but still loving and wanting to do theater. I didn't have like a clear path exactly after graduation, I would say. It wasn't like... I definitely have to move to LA and do film or, you know, I, I liked Shakespeare a lot and I liked doing theater and, you know, it, yeah, it was just a bit muddy, I think. And I think probably a lot of actors who go through programs like that, there's often kind of a weakness in preparation for the actual world out there, right? Yeah. Like you kind of get this training of like in this bubble this world where you're getting cast and stuff every quarter and, you know, like, and you're involved with all, all the time with productions and stuff, but it's only at the tail end that they start talking about, you know, the business and like very practical things. And I think there, at the time in my program, at least there wasn't really a clear map of like guidance post-graduation. I felt like once you left college, what was that first reality moment for you? I was lucky somewhat in that, like, right after graduation was when I got cast in this movie, this uh, really low-budget independent feature film that a friend of mine was making. Um, he had studied film in college, and he was someone that I went to high school with, and he and his buddies were, um, you know, putting this production together, and he asked me to audition I ended up getting that role. And so pretty soon after I I had that experience where we took a few weeks out and, you know, made a movie. So that was really great to do that and have that be like my first big post-graduation experience um, doing like a really juicy role like that. But I think after that, it was kind of like, what now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> a little bit. So I was doing some theater. I was in some theater productions and and doing some readings because, you know, Chicago is a really big theater town, of course. So I was doing some of that. And then I also found some, you know, other auditions for uh, film and sort of, I guess, the following year, I ended up doing another um, independent film, another feature film. Uh, again, that was like another really great experience. I think there, there's probably a little bit of that where there's these high points where it's like, oh, I'm in this movie and it's fun. You know, you you get really focused on it. You put in all your your heart and effort into that. And then when it's over, it's like it gets a little lost or muddy or something. Still kind of like not sure what I'm, what I should be doing next. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Were you able to make a living as an actor or did you have to subsidize it with other work? Uh, definitely. I was not getting paid <laughs> for a lot of these things <laughs> yeah. as, uh, as it goes. And um, yeah, so I was, you know, working temp jobs, things like that and office jobs. And so I think that was part of it too, where it's like, where am I going with this? <laughs> and yeah. um 
because that wasn't part of your schooling as far as the business of acting. You will need to find other work. That's, exactly. <laughs> that's nothing they ever talk about. Exactly. Exactly. Like that practical aspect of like getting a day job, like what, what do you do and how do you support yourself while trying to pursue this? Yeah, I think that's definitely a missing piece there. So yeah, so I think it got to the point where I was finding it not as satisfying as mm. before. Uh, have you ever, you know, I mean, oh, you've yes. come across that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I think there's a lot of actors out there where they're happy as long as they're acting. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what production it is. It's like if it's a role, if it's anything, they they love doing it. And I think I'm a little bit different in that it mattered to me whether I liked the production or not, or, or yeah. the, the play or whatever it was. And so I found myself going, I'm, I'm auditioning for stuff that I don't actually necessarily want to be in. And why am I doing this? You know, was that just due to a lack of, of choice when it came to auditions? I think so. I think, yeah, just in terms of, you know, what the options out there or wasn't fulfilling me like how you know the arts should be fulfilling you and I think that was when uh it was clear that I needed to take a step back and you know think about why am I doing this should I keep doing things where I I feel I'm not getting paid (laughs) I'm not you know and it's taking up a lot of time but I'm not really getting that joy and fulfillment from it Yeah, so I think that was sort of when I started taking a step back from acting. When you took a step back from acting, what was the biggest revelation or aha moment that you had from that? It's a good question. I still love acting. You know, I I love the craft of acting and and acting in productions. But I think I found that I like doing that whether or not it's my career, I guess, or my um, vocation in life or the thing that is my identity or something. Maybe it's I don't equate the career success or, you know, becoming famous or something or being well known as equating that with the love of the craft itself. Yeah, there's that craft side, you know, of digging into characters and scenes and and scripts. There's, you know, the business side where where it's about promotion, it's about collaboration, networking, and then there's the things that are apart from any of that, side jobs and just making a living and getting by and marriages, you know, and just each of those require a different aspect of us. Yeah, there's so much of the baggage and stuff that is like not as fulfilling, <laughs> right? As just the pure craft itself. But it was around that same time that I was also being pulled towards a lot of other interests that I have. I'm someone who was trained in something like very, very specific acting. It was a very intense conservatory program, but I'm also a very curious person who, you know, loves to learn and loves to learn about all kinds of things, you know. Mm-hmm. I I love to read, I love to learn about history and literature and philosophy and all kinds of stuff and so around that time I was working temp jobs and stuff and 
kind of mindless office work, but one of the the perks of it was we were allowed to listen to stuff as we worked. And I really used that time to educate myself and to learn as much as I could. I I was listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of audiobooks, a lot of lectures, academic lectures and things. And um, that was how I ended up accumulating so much knowledge to the point where I could actually be on Jeopardy. I didn't, I didn't realize I was accumulating so much at the time, but um, by the time that I, I started getting into trivia and I started watching Jeopardy, it was like, oh yeah, I, I actually have a enough there in the tank where I, I could actually, you know, compete on this show. It was kind of by osmosis. You you were listening to things, reading things, and it was just kind of staying in your brain that you could answer these random questions. <laughs> right, right. It was getting there. Your time on Jeopardy, did that use any of your acting skills? I mean, you, you were on camera, you were in a, a, a high pressure, nervous situation like film acting can be. Right. You know, it's funny being on that show, I was so nervous. And it wasn't because of I was like afraid to be on TV or being on camera or something like that. It was because I I really put a lot of pressure on myself to win. I really, really wanted to win. Like when I was uh, asked to be on the show, I was like, well, I have to win. <laughs> I mean, right? Like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I got to win. <laughs> so I just think that pressure that I put on myself, like made me quite nervous on the show. And, uh, you know, being in that type of situation is such a different experience from like acting in a film. It's like completely different, even though it's like being seen. I, I think it's like a totally different situation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's more improv than it is anything, but it's totally based upon you really listening and then engaging and hopefully you're right. And you got other people trying to knock you off. <laughs> so yeah, it's a competition improv, I guess, exercise. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, playing the game. <laughs> you had talked about finding satisfaction in the craft was there a difference for you in auditioning versus performing? Like, did you enjoy one of those? Was auditioning enough exercising your craft that you could enjoy that? I definitely liked performing better. Auditioning, you know, sometimes it, it could be fun to audition. Other times, again, it, it kind of depended on what it was, I guess. Sometimes it was like, Oh, I don't really like this script, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Oh, God, this is bad writing. I've yeah, had those. Yeah, exactly. you get them. And so it's like, oh, do I really want to be in this? It's not a really good script. So again, it's kind of like that tension of not being fully fulfilled when it's like not something that really speaks to you. And I'm curious about comparison. Did you see others that were uh, either from your program or just other actors that you knew? Did you see them finding that satisfaction or that success that you had been looking for? I think that there was definitely varied experience um, with um, people that I graduated with. There are or around my age as well. Yeah, some people did quite well. They've gone on to be quite successful. You know, they were they were getting work through 
commercials and things like that. But I think some people that, you know, stepped away as well. I think that's kind of how it goes. It's there's a mixed bag of experiences. In your search for that satisfaction, did you discover a why for yourself? You know, that why do I want to do this? Why do I want to be an actor? I guess when I think about why I I sort of pursued it in the first place, you know, why did I audition for this programming and do it? I I think I liked to explore humanity and psychology and expression through acting, the self-expression and and being able to find the different um, facets of yourself. I think it's so fascinating. I loved that aspect of my training, you know, exploring movement and voice and you know, putting yourself in the mindset of different characters or different people that are outside of real life. Maybe it goes along with sort of my I, my broad interest in various things. And acting was kind of that avenue that was like a very interesting way to explore all of that. Were you still auditioning and, and pursuing acting throughout Jeopardy or, or afterwards? I think... Then it was pretty on the back burner. It was, it was like, you know, maybe I'll come back to this, but I wasn't actively pursuing it at the time. Did you ever find any barriers or anything that either from the casting side or just opportunities wise that kept you from going as far as you wanted acting? Possibly. I guess I could speculate on that, but I don't I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think, right. you know, possibly when I graduated around that time, there were maybe less opportunities for Asian actors. I think that's changed quite a lot in the past few years, right? You're seeing a lot more Asian roles in TV and film and things like that. I think there there was kind of a push for diversity uh, um, a lot. It, it kind of kept increasing um, later, but I think Possibly back then there was a little, there was still more of like a barrier being able to imagine an Asian actor in certain roles. There was probably some of that. Now, kind of getting into the the nitty gritty of the craft, was memorization something that was difficult for you? Uh, I mean, Shakespeare is certainly a good example of that. I've, <laughs> it takes me a while to learn those kind of lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did struggle with um, memorizing lines, especially when I was in school. I I actually have had an experience where I went up on lines in a performance before. Have mm-hmm. you ever had that before? Oh, yes. I've had a few of those. <laughs> it's so terrifying, isn't it? It's like you just want the floor to swallow you up, right? <laughs> You're like, oh my God. And you, the lights are on you. And it's it's like the most horrifying experience. Yeah. So I've, I've had that before. I remember I was often the person who was like calling a line like every two seconds in rehearsal. You know, there's always this kind of like weird transition period in um, productions where people are finally getting off book or like they kind of set a date where it's like, you have to be off book. And so like, there's this weird wonky period where it's like, everyone's trying to like be off book, but they kind of don't have it yet. And so I was kind of that person that was like, every two seconds, like line, 
like, okay, now I got it. Line. <laughs> All right. I got it. Okay. Line. <laughs> yeah. And so that would be kind of embarrassing at times. You know, you get taught like s- certain techniques for script analysis and stuff and like breaking things down. I think I did some of that. And then, and then the rest was kind of like rote memorization, just trying to, you know, pound it in. Just, just drilling. drilling it over and over yeah, and over. Yeah, I think that was kind of how I did it. I think that's how most people do it, where it's a combination of um, script analysis and just drilling. Because I know that for me, my process is like, I, I learn it on my feet, in rehearsals, with with the other people. And and other people want be, to be in their corner, just looking at the script and just in their own head. Did you have a particular way that worked best for you? I think it was like I was just trying stuff because you you sometimes get little bits of advice here and there from uh, teachers or whatever. And so I had heard that like, you know, movement and getting on your feet can help. So I think I tried that. Um, but it was still like not super effective. I felt like I felt like I was still struggling here and there. Yeah, I think getting into the acting more uh, helps. Um, that's definitely been more of my stance lately, for sure. So the research, looking up ways to to memorize, did it begin as you were doing just these fun trivia nights, or did that more start once Jeopardy is going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I think my first real book about memory training, it was quite a bit before Jeopardy, but it was this book called Moonwalking with Einstein. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-mm, I have not. It was this New York Times bestseller several years ago where this journalist, he got involved with memory athletes. I don't know if you're aware that this is like a subculture out there. I didn't know. It's its own competition, I bet. Yeah. Yes. There's there's actually like international memory tournaments and there's there are these memory athletes out there. They use mnemonic techniques to do really amazing feats of memory. Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering Everything, was written by journalist Joshua Four, and in it he talks about the USA Memory Championship, which is a yearly gathering of these memory athletes. In 2012, Four gave a TED Talk about this competition and his involvement with it. This was a bunch of guys and a few ladies widely varying in both age and hygienic upkeep. (laughs) They were memorizing hundreds of random numbers, looking at them just once. They were memorizing the names of dozens and dozens and dozens of strangers. They were memorizing entire poems in just a few minutes. They were competing to see who could memorize the order of a shuffled pack of playing cards fastest. And I was like, this is unbelievable. These people must be freaks of nature. And I started talking to a few of the competitors. This is a guy called Ed Cook, who had come over from England, where he had one of the best trained memories. And I said to him, Ed, when did you realize that you were a savant? And Ed was like, I'm not a savant. In fact, I have just an average memory. Everybody who competes in this contest will tell you that they have just an average memory. And Ed, who is a wonderful, brilliant, but somewhat eccentric English guy, says to me, Josh, you're an American journalist. Do you know Britney Spears? I'm like, what? (laughs) No, why? 
because I really want to teach Britney Spears how to memorize the order of a shuffled pack of playing cards on U.S. national television. It will prove to the world that anybody can do this. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I'm not Britney Spears, but maybe you could teach me. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? So this book, Moonwalking with Einstein. He explores that that subculture, and he gets involved with them, and he starts training with these people. And he, the the author himself, he ended up winning like the U.S. Memory Championship. <laughs>、um, so yeah, so that was kind of my first introduction to these to mnemonic techniques, at least this this、um, particular field. I, I found it really interesting in that anybody is really capable of doing. And so it, it's really quite fascinating that we're capable of so much more than we really think. You know, I loved that this field has like a really, really long history. You know, it goes back to ancient Greece, basically. So this is like thousands of years old. People have known about these techniques for a long, long time. So in some way, the the mind is a muscle that can be trained, like like any other athletic competition. It seems like that's the comparison there. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of us have this idea, this wrong idea that you're basically just blessed with a good memory, or you're cursed <laughs> with a bad one. Like you're just born with it, right? Or it's like in your genetics or something. I mean, there's probably a, that to a certain extent, right? But there's training. Yeah, you can actually train your memory to get better. <laughs> And I think people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. Now, I would assume for Jeopardy that really comes into play because it's one thing if you're, say, if, you know, you're learning a Shakespeare script. It's、mm -hmm. it's a storyline. You're a character, so your lines, although you know, difficult language, you're there's at least you're you're in, you're inside of a box. But for Jeopardy,、mm -hmm. you have to know tons of boxes of information <laughs> and categories and different things. So, were these I guess as you were reading and learning more、mm -hmm. about memorization, these techniques were helping you keep all those boxes separate, so you could keep history over here, English here, science, and so on. Um, I'm not sure if if that's the case. It's it's interesting, you know, when you're memorizing、um, kind of like straight facts like that.、Mm -hmm. It's actually in a way easier. Than、uh, something more complicated like a text, like、um, uh, I think th there's something more discreet about facts. They lend themselves more to things like flashcards and things like that. So, in a way, memorizing dramatic text and、um, coming up with methods for that is a bit more challenging, actually. So then, it sounds like you found it easier to study for and memorize these facts for Jeopardy than you had found in memorizing scripts for film or stage. Um, somewhat. It's all challenging, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. yeah. But um, I think I would say that it's probably, I they're they're kind of different from each other. So I kept learning about these things. Kind of around that time, and also post Jeopardy, I was still like fixated on just learning more about these techniques. You had mentioned earlier about 
that time where you just went up on a line, you wanted the floor to take you in. Was there a moment in Jeopardy where it's like, I know this, I know this, but you couldn't access that particular information? Yes, yes. There's several times. I think some people that watch Jeopardy, they'll sometimes be surprised how the people on there will sometimes answer something like completely stupid or like what that's so obviously wrong or whatever. But like, you don't understand that like when you're in that moment, your brain is just in a completely different world, you know? And so, yeah, it, it gets difficult with the nerves and stuff to, to access certain things. I, I remember, you know, one thing that comes to mind, uh, like one question that was on the show, I forget the clue exactly, but the answer was Andrea Bocelli. I knew it was Andrea Bocelli, but I could not get there. And I, I rang in and I was like, I was just like grasping for it and I, I couldn't get it. So like the last second I just said Pavarotti, you know, yeah. and it was like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> but then as soon as you said it, did it finally come to you? It was, you know, when they say, no, it was Andrew Bocelli. It's like, okay, yes, it's of like, course. Right, it was I knew Andrew, that. Right. <laughs> yes, moments like that where it's like, oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. So whether it's a game show like Jeopardy or a Shakespeare play or a revival of a classic musical, there are just those times when our memory fails us and a piece of knowledge or a line or lyric will seemingly leave our brain and we're unable to get it back. Now, not that you or I will be competing in a memory championship anytime soon, but for us actors, memorization is one of the foundational skills we need to have. I mean, what is one of the most common questions we're asked by the non-actor muggles out there, hmm? How do you memorize all those lines? <laughs> Well, in the next episode, Joyce will tell us about a system that she's come up with to aid in memorization. Her program is called Off Book It, and she and I will go through the various steps of her process and how it can help us not only learn our lines better, but access character and story as well. In fact, the monthly WinMe newsletter will be coming out in just a few days and will have more information on Joyce's program. You can sign up for the newsletter at whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Music in this episode is by Bortex and Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as Joyce and I talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.